Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners. With more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Back on August 24th, following the Mariners' loss to the Nationals, we looked ahead at the schedule for the Mariners that was immediately following that series. You had Cleveland for a series, a four-game series at home. You had Detroit, you had Cleveland again, the White Sox, the Braves, and then the Padres. And a lot of us, myself included, looked at that stretch of the schedule as the toughest remaining portion of the 2022 Mariners schedule and they were 10 games above 500 at 67 and 57 entering that stretch well what are they now they're 80 and 62 they're 18 games above 500 a season high 18 games above 500 which they have had at a couple portions over the last couple weeks here but 80 and 62 right now. They are one win away from clinching at least a 500 record with 19 to play. They are two wins away from clinching their first back-to-back winning season since 2002-2003 and they have made it through this stretch of Cleveland, Detroit, Cleveland again, Chicago, Atlanta and San Diego by going what? 12 and 4, 12 and 5. 12 and 5 is or thirteen and five, they went. They were sixty-seven and fifty-seven to start. They are eighty and sixty-two right now. So they went thirteen and five over the course of those eighteen games. That's not bad, especially considering the toughness of that schedule. Considering the quality of opponent, Cleveland probably a playoff team. Chicago still fighting for their playoff lives in that American League Central race. Atlanta running away with the NL wildcard top spot and potentially could win the National League East. And then San Diego fighting for their playoff lives as well in that National League wildcard race. Curtis Rogers with you here on Extra Innings, a late night edition again here from 9 to 11 p.m. on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. And you look at what lies ahead for this Mariners team. Angels for four. The A's, the Royals, all those games are on the road, and then you come home and finish your season with a 10-game homestand against Texas, Oakland, and Detroit. That is as ideal of a situation as you could possibly have for a Mariners team that A, is looking for their first playoff berth in two decades, and B, a Mariners team that is looking to get that number one wildcard seed so they can host at minimum two playoff games in the first round of these playoffs. Does it feel like we're out of the woods yet? And I know we're, we're two decades removed from the last time the Mariners played playoff baseball here. And you don't want to put, you know, you don't want to get out in front of it too far. But guys, it does feel like this team is just absolutely destined for October baseball this year, which is a crazy thing to say as as those of us who root for the Mariners, those of us who cover the Mariners, because it has been so, so long. But looking at this stretch of schedule that lies ahead for them, how can you not see them go, you know, at least 10 and 10? You look at the 
Orioles, they are the one team that everybody in the AL wildcard race is really concerned with right now as they are the fourth of four teams and only three get in. If the Mariners go 10-10 and the rest of the way, the Orioles will at worst have to go 15-5 and to tie. And, and if they go 16-4 and the rest of the way and the Mariners go 10-10, and then they would overtake the Mariners. But you're banking on Baltimore to have an incredibly hot stretch down this down the final couple weeks week two weeks three weeks of the season and I look at their schedule let's take a look in the American League East not easy you've got three against Toronto you've got four against Houston four against Boston three against New York three against Toronto I do not see them going 16 and 4 or 15 and 5 against that schedule at all. They also have a three game series against the Tigers mixed in in there. Like the Orioles have had a great season for sure, like the best they've had in in a long time, but that is not a schedule where you can see them go 15 and 5, 16 and 4, 17 and 3, what have you. There just is not that possibility right now. And I look at this Mariners team and, and is it fair to start making postseason plans? Is it fair to start looking at this rotation and, and maybe throwing Chris Flexen in there as somebody that can buy you a couple days extra rest for a guy like George Kirby or a guy like Logan Gilbert or or maybe Marco Gonzalez? Because this schedule is pretty advantageous for the Mariners to clinch their first postseason appearance in a couple of decades. Now, this team does come with its share of warts, for sure, because what team doesn't? We're in September, folks. We we know these teams inside and out. There's nothing about these teams that can surprise us anymore. And yes, the Mariners' inability to, I guess, create runs outside of hitting home runs is is one that is not easy to to maintain over the course of a season, especially when the weather gets worse and worse here. Uh, I look out my window today. It is cloudy. It is it is gray skies have filled these clouds for the last week or so. Part of that has been due to the wildfires for sure. But also, we're nearing October. We're in mid September now. the The, the temperature is going to change. The calendar changes. When there is not that hot air to help the balls fly out of the yard, you're going to see offenses. Offensive production, I should say, dropped down a tick. Can the Mariners find that ability within themselves to produce runs at a clip that is much more consistent, especially come postseason time when you look at teams that are able to put runs up on the board in in different ways outside of just hitting the home run? Now, you look at what Julio Rodriguez and Eugenio Suarez have done over the last couple of like over the last week or really over this last homestand, it has been nothing short of remarkable, especially Julio Rodriguez yesterday leading off the game with a bomb. Wind up and the pitch, swing and a fly ball deep to left center field. Going and going and goodbye baseball. Holy smokes, Julio Rodriguez into the Padre bullpen. A leadoff home run here in the bottom of the first. His 26th home run of the season. And just like that, the Mariners take a mighty quick one to nothing lead. Everybody on their feet here at T-Mobile Park already. 
And then you've got Suarez, who now has 31 home runs on the season. Here's the pitch of the way. Swinging a high drive into the gap in right center field. Grisham going back to the one. He tracked to the wall. This one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Eugenio with a two-run home run. A towering home run to right center field into the bleachers. His 31st home run of the season. Now, those guys have been on another planet right now. They have each had a multi-home run game on this past homestand. In fact, they did it in the same game, which is a rarity unto itself. Suarez has 31 home runs. Julio has 26. Julio swiped his 25th bag yesterday. It has been the A. Eugenio and Julio show offensively. And on the other side of it, it has been the Mariners pitching staff. It has been that starting rotation with a one six eight ERA over 20 starts. It has been just absolutely incredible to see every single arm in that rotation contribute. And not just contribute, but also look dominant in, in a way that no Mariners pitching staff, I think, has ever dominated before. I mean, even when they were playing their best ball uh, historically as a franchise in the mid-90s and, and early 2000s, you had Randy Johnson in 95, and outside of him, there was a whole lot of nothing. In you know 2001, you had a lot of good starters, but you didn't have any dominant guys. Like I wouldn't put Jamie Moyer as a dominant starting pitcher. I wouldn't put Freddie Garcia as a dominant starting pitcher. But you look at this starting rotation now, there are legit question marks as to who's going to be the number three guy. Is it George Kirby? Is it going to be Logan Gilbert? And that is a good problem to have. That is a, a champagne problem to have right now, not knowing who your number three starter is. And it's not because right now you've got guys struggling for that spot. It's that Kirby has pitched really well over the season's last couple months. And then you've got Logan Gilbert, whose entire 2022 season has been spectacular especially considering that it's only his second full season in Major League Baseball, and and he has looked as good as he has. Now, if the Mariners really want to make some noise in the playoffs, I I, I don't think pitching is the spot to worry about, starting rotation or bullpen-wise. They have got it figured out. Where Where my worry is going to lie is offensively. It is with guys like Ty France, who his wrist was barking this week. He sat a game because his wrist was... You know, it's not 100%. Even though Ty France spent a lot of time telling us that he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Well, it turns out that wasn't the case. Mitch Haniger sitting for the last couple of days, resting a back injury. Hopefully he'll be back in this Angels series. I would hope that Friday we see him out there playing, maybe as a DH, work his way back offensively, or work his way back defensively, I should say, back into right field. But right now, I mean, there is a serious concern, for me at least, with that offensive production outside of Rodriguez and outside of Suarez because, boy, this team really needs these bats to heat up and really needs some more consistent production from one through nine rather than just one and, you know, four or five in the lineup. We have got a lot in store for you here on Extra Innings this late evening. We have got Brandon Gustafson. He's joining me next. Also, Joe Doyle of Prospects Live. He will join me to start off the second hour. That will be at 10 p.m. You do not want to go anywhere. Lots to get to here on Extra Innings. Like I said, Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com joins me next. This is Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station on the Mariners Radio Network.
You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners On the home of the Mariners Seattle Sports Station Joining me now on Extra Innings On the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline A very special guest A surprise guest You're not going to believe it But I was able to get Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com To join me once again Another go around here on Extra Innings Brandon, really appreciate you joining me How's it going? Yeah, good. I mean, we haven't had extra innings this week. Uh, I mean, they they had the off day Monday, but, uh, you know, there was certain something happening across the street there over at Lumen, so uh, weren't able to chat. So I'm glad we were able to do it today. Yeah, boy, that they, they I mean, not often does extra innings get preempted, but I guess we'll take a back seat to, to that Monday night game <laughs> earlier this week, but not tonight. No, no, we are back in, in full force. Brandon, Mariners, they have sort of made their way through this toughest stretch of their schedule, at least the toughest stretch remaining on their schedule, the games against Cleveland and the White Sox, the Padres, the Braves. And now we see 20 games remaining all against teams with losing records. They have a, what, five-game lead in the wild card on Baltimore for the final spot. Brandon, I, I, I don't – can I get excited? Can I get, like, relieved about where the Mariners are? I mean, yes, there is still quite a ways to go in the season, but it, it feels like it's almost inevitable right now that they're going to wrap up a playoff spot soon. Yeah, the the schedule definitely helped them out here at the end of the year. Obviously, going ten games on the road uh, that that they start tomorrow is that that's a little tough. That that's a long time to be out and about. But again, as you mentioned, all twenty games remaining again are against uh, sub five hundred teams. The, the that tough stretch is over. Uh, they've come out on the other end of it a lot better, and for the most part, they're pretty healthy. Kind of got to see what's up with Mitch Haniger and his back and whatnot, but. Yeah, things work out really well for them. Tampa Bay uh, is playing Toronto right now. Uh, they they play uh, th- those two teams face off next week as well. Toronto faces off with Baltimore starting tomorrow. So, I mean, those three teams that are right there around the Mariners, all out in the ALEs, they're going to be playing each other a few times over this next uh, over these next two two and a half weeks, and that that ends up helping the Mariners out a lot. On top of just the fact that Mariners are playing some some pretty subpar competition and for the most part the teams that they've beaten up on they haven't done as well as they would like against the angels i think that that season series is tied but they've handled business against texas against oakland they've seen detroit once and were able to come out of that with a sweep so things are looking really good they really are and it is shaping up like you said to go the mariners way uh especially those final 10 games of the season all being at home very rarely do you get even a 10 game homestand let alone the final 10 games of the season and that could stretch even further depending on you know what seeding the mariners might get in that wild card chase if they get the number 1 seed you know you're going to spend a couple extra days here in seattle just the lack of travel at that point in the season i mean that's got to be such a huge benefit to this team as they look to solidify a postseason spot yeah and, and they they've talked about it obviously they they love the the kind of energy that the crowd brings and we saw it at the very end last year the the last two series of the year had some really good fan support and we've been seeing it these last few weeks these last few months really i mean there have been a handful of games where you're looking out and it's like a Wednesday afternoon game or a Tuesday evening and, and they're drawing 30-plus thousand, and that, and that just hasn't been the case for this team for a long time. So I know they really feed off of that. They're really, they're really excited about that opportunity to be able to close the season at home. And as you mentioned, I mean, the, getting that number one wild card spot, potentially taking on Tampa Bay or Toronto and that being at home for, for two or three games, 
that that'd be a big deal because as much as I know everybody in the in the Pacific Northwest, everyone that's rooting for the Mariners, that they want them to just end the drought outright. I know there are a lot of people that want to be among the forty-five to fifty thousand fans at T-Mobile Park if that's able to happen, where they're able to host that at home. So, uh, but but like I said, the schedule kind of works out to where I think that they have the best odds of not just making the playoffs of those four wild card contenders, but of getting that top wild card spot team just because those other teams are going to be playing each other these next few weeks. Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com here on Extra Innings. And Brandon, when you look at this Mariners offense right now, uh, the conversation we had on Bump and Stacey earlier this week talking about just the Mariners' reliance on home runs and and whether or not that is sustainable, especially as the calendar gets closer and closer to October here, the weather's going to change, not just in Seattle, but across the country in all baseball markets. Do you think that the Mariners' offense, the way that they have been you know, producing the majority of their runs as of late, you know, specifically guys like Julio, Eugenio Suarez, uh, is that sustainable come playoff time, or are they going to need to find other ways to generate offense? definitely need to to find some other ways especially cuz when when you get down into the playoffs and you just look at the the teams that they're most likely to face in that first round we've seen Cleveland they're a great pitching team they held the Mariners in check for the most part in those 7 games Tampa Bay is one of the better pitching teams in baseball too uh, they always have a really good bullpen Kevin Cash is a fantastic manager uh, Toronto has has two or three really good starters that they could roll out. Their bullpen has actually been among the, the better bullpens in the second half of the year. They're a team that those bullpen guys don't allow a lot of inherited runners to score. So uh, definitely got to be able to string some runs together because you can't always rely on the long ball. They definitely have guys in the lineup that can hit the ball out of the ballpark a lot. Obviously, you mentioned Julio and Suarez. Handiger, if he's healthy, can. We've seen Ty France go on some power runs. Cal Raleigh's been the you know, the, the best slugging catcher in baseball this year, and really since the, the middle of May, he's been one of the best sluggers in baseball. But it's hard to rely on the long ball, especially because a lot of the time you, the, when you're hitting the long ball, you're hitting mistakes from pitchers. And, and like I said, those teams that they're likely to face, they have some really good starters. They've got really good relievers. It just makes it a little harder. So, yeah, over these next 20 games, seeing them be able to sprinkle some runs together through some rallies, just hitting the ball all around the ballpark, maybe playing some small ball productive outs, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Brandon, yesterday Luis Castillo got back to that ace-level form that we've come to know uh, from him here in his short time with the Mariners, just really dominating the Padres all game long yesterday. Uh, What did you see from him that just made the Padres look pretty foolish in, in, in swinging the bats against him? Well, some, something, and it's it's something Scott Service brought up too, and and Jerry Depoto did as well this morning when he was on with Brock and Salk, is that his his velocity's actually gone up, and he he's been somebody who's already among the hardest throwing pitchers in baseball, and he's out there, and you see him in the first inning touching ninety nine to hundred. You see the strikeout of Juan Soto, where it's ninety nine mile an hour two seamer starting over the middle of the plate and ending up six inches out out of the zone, and. Juan Soto doesn't chase, and he looked foolish, and Juan Soto's one of the best pure hitters in baseball. So I think the the increase in velocity is definitely part of it. I thought that the changeup in particular looked really well, looked really good. He was able to, to get that down out of the zone. It's got so much movement to it, and I think that kind of in his first few starts, he didn't quite have that. It wasn't quite there, but that changeup is just an absolutely devastating weapon, especially to lefties, but he's not afraid to throw it to righties either, and he's able to get a lot of swings and misses. So I think just that, that velocity is, that that jump and considering where we are at at the end of the season and him throwing as many innings as he has for the Mariners and just really since he made his season debut in May, that's definitely notable. And it, it was really apparent the way that he was 
pitching against the Padres, but he had electric stuff. And but on top of the velocity, it was just the, the typical Luis Castillo movement. So it's been so fun to watch him. I mean, just ace-level stuff. We're seeing a guy who's a legitimate top-ten pitcher in baseball take the ball every fifth day. And, that I mean, that's going to be huge, especially considering they're probably going to go into that wild-card round and, and match up with another ace. So they're going to have a pretty good ace of their own in that first game. Yeah, not bad to uh, mash an ace with an ace, and that's exactly what Luis Castillo has been since coming over from the Cincinnati Reds. Brandon, we've talked a lot about the Mariners' starting rotation as it, it pertains to the wildcard round, who would be your number three guy. Well, that's another conversation we'll get to uh, maybe as we get even closer to the playoffs. But right now, I look at the left field spot for the Mariners as another area where there seems to be a job up for grabs. Jesse Winker has held it down for most of the season, but as we've seen from him, his bat just is not going to come around in 2022. I don't think that that is something you know shocking to anybody right now, but he is what he is. And meanwhile, Sam Haggerty has shown flashes for sure, but he's also been able, but he's also been unable to put together many games in a row without getting nicked up here and there. When you look at the left field spot going forward, especially nearing the postseason here, what do you think is the Mariners' best route to take? Is it giving Haggerty the majority of reps out in left field? Is it Jesse Winker? Or, I mean, we saw yesterday the Mariners promote a minor leaguer, Cade Marlowe, who's had an incredible season at A. They promoted him to AAA. Maybe they give him some run at the major league level. Yeah, the the thing that makes it the hardest, Curtis, is that it, it's – it's just apparent just from the eyeball test and also just the metrics back up that, that Jesse Winker is just not a very good defensive left fielder. And it's one of those things where if you're going to be in that situation where, uh, I mean, he's never, he's never been an, even an average defensive outfielder, certainly not the last few years, but the bats always kind of made up for it. And so when, when you're not hitting well enough to kind of warrant that, that's where it gets a little tricky uh, with, with Sam Haggerty. He's a, he's a plus corner outfielder. He's obviously got dynamic speed. He, he's a threat in kind of all phases of the game. Uh, but but he's definitely been a lot better against left-handed pitching from the right side of the plate versus against righties when he's hitting lefty. So could maybe see something where they they do more of a, a traditional platoon situation where where Haggerty's facing the majority of uh, of the left-handed uh, pitching reps, something like that. I'm sure that they're still kind of holding out hope that maybe something just clicks for Jesse Winker and you're seeing something that's close to the 2021 version of Jesse Winker. Like you said, it's just the the consistency it's it just it's it's been there but in a bad way the most of this season has just not gone very well for Jesse Winker so I think something to watch there would just be you know a, a traditional platoon situation and don't forget about Taylor Trammell I mean Taylor Trammell somebody who I think that if you were to give him uh, the 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 at bats the reps that, that Jesse Winker has he he would put up similar numbers if not a little bit better he has that that ability to work walks as well he's got some thump and he plays a pretty good corner outfield too so. Mariners got a lot of opportunities here between those three and, like you said, a few other guys that they could look at. Dylan Morris, potentially somebody that could come back from the IL. But I think just kind of a traditional platoon with Winker getting the the reps against righties and Sam Haggerty facing lefties, I think that makes a lot of sense too. Certainly a competition worth keeping an eye on over the next couple of weeks. He is Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. Read him at SeattleSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at VBGustafson. Listen to him here on Extra Innings each time we have one of these shows, especially in the late night edition. You never know what you're going to get from Brandon. But Brandon, really appreciate (laughs) you stopping by, and uh, we'll have to do this again some other time. You bet. See you, Raj. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you, man. 
Yeah, you bet. See ya. Never a bad time when Brandon Gustin is dropping by. Like I said, make sure you're reading his work at seattlesports.com. When we return on Extra Innings, we take a listen to what Jerry DePoto told Seattle Sports Station earlier today about all that is going on with this team as they make their final push towards the postseason. That's coming your way next here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners On the home of the Mariners Seattle Sports Station Swing and a miss Struck him out Quick dismissal Of Josh Bell Let's strike out number nine Luis Castillo Luis Castillo, ever since coming over from the Cincinnati Reds, has been nothing short of ace material for this Mariners organization. Curtis Rogers with you on Extra Innings. Make sure you're not going anywhere. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we will hear a conversation Matthew Boyd, Mariners reliever, had with our very own Wyman and Bob. That's coming your way in 15 minutes from now. But right now, we hear from Jerry DePoto, who was on with Brock and Salk earlier today. And he talked a lot about Julio Rodriguez. Rodriguez and what he means to the organization, but he also started off his conversation with those two about Luis Castillo and how long he has been sort of the apple of this front office's eye, and it dates all the way back to the 2016 season. I do, uh, and actually, we we tried to trade for Luis at, at the trade deadline in 2016, and the the first conversation I ever had where his name came up, we were in trade discussions at that time with the Marlins, and uh, we were they were looking for Wade Miley, who was a, a left hand starter with us at the time, and you know in return we were trying to get Luis Castillo, and you know we didn't get him. They wound up trading him in a different direction, uh, and and you know that was our loss, and, and ultimately we did trade uh, Wade to Baltimore, but that was the first time we ever really discussed Luis. And, and if, if I recall, the first person who brought Luis to, to, you know, my or our attention was former GM, Woody Woodward, uh, who was with us for a number of years and almost exclusively covered the Marlins and the, and the Rays and their Florida based teams for, for those years. And Luis Castillo was, was somebody who was pretty high on. Uh, Jerry, we uh, have, have a friend that's been in the building, and his son is a reliever for the Blue Jays, Adam Simber. And I remember talking to his dad, Russ, and he would say, gosh, you know, Adam, when he picked up a baseball, this is how he threw it. Like when he was 8, 9, 10, it wasn't like, oh, we're 18, let's figure out a way to get to the big leagues. It was like this is the way he always was comfortable throwing a baseball. Luis Castillo's arm slot, right, and just that style and just the way he's gone about it. Has that been his game for a decade plus? It really has, you know, and uh, I, I guess in some ways, you know, the the way we teach pitching now and, and you know, we as the Mariners and I think it, as a, an industry practice, you know, it used to be more standardized or uniform and you, pitchers looked a little bit more like robots and, and you were trying to teach them, especially in the 1980s, we called it tall and fall and and most pitchers looked the same when they threw and and now our general take is, the way you throw the ball, your natural when you pick up the ball to go throw it, that's probably the way you were meant to throw, and your body's going to start self-correcting on the way down the hill, and it, and it starts there. And you know, this is Luis, and and you know he throws a lot. You know, mechanically, it's all like Kevin Brown, and you know, or even to some degree Pedro with that lower slot, and and you know all those different weapons that we talked about. They play up because of the slot, 
You know, I, I, I think of Max Scherzer and, and Kevin Brown and, and, and Pedro Martinez throwing that kind of velocity with that kind of movement and the ability to hit all the quadrants for the strike zone from that low three-quarter slot. It, that is just tough on a hitter. Jerry, um, I want to talk to you about the the rule changes that are starting to come down the pike. And we heard about this last week, right, with the with the banning of the shift and the bigger bases uh, and the pitch clock. How will that affect the way you scout players, evaluate players and the way you build a team? You know, I, I actually think the, the only one that will greatly affect the way we scout players you know, might wind up being the, the ban on shifting or the, the adjustment in that regard. And, and, uh, I, it, or even the way we teach hitting, you know, moving forward. And uh, for a number of years, the, the general tenor has been just hit it over the shift uh, because the, the players are, are positioned where they are because each individual hitters spray chart, you know, their results suggest that that's where they hit the ball the most often. And, and some hitters just have a terrible time trying to adjust, you know, in swing because of some of the things we just talked about with pitchers like Luis Castillo. You know, it's a, it sounds a lot easier to say, hey, hit it the other way until you see someone throwing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball that moves 20 inches. <laughs> it's a, that's not an easy thing to, to track when you have you know, milliseconds to make your decision whether you're going to swing or take. So I do think that that, you know, the, the shifts is going to be the one area where you're going to see a, a profound difference. I, I it, it stands to reason that hitting is going to get easier and there will be uh, less uh, uh, a focus on whether a player is adjustable in his swing. And, you know, back to the days of the, you know, the pole hitter is is an effective thing. And, and right now, pole hitters have been muted. But the rest of it is very much in line with what we've been doing in, in minor league or even in, in amateur baseball. You know, the, the pitch clocks and we're still looking for athletes who can play baseball is the, at the end of the day how we'll scout them. Do you have uh, players on your team now that you think will benefit the most from the changes specifically with the shift? Uh, tough to say. You know, I do think that organizationally, there's we've got a few left-hand hitters who, you know, certainly will will benefit. And I, you know, in the minor leagues, I would say right now, Jared Kelnick is is someone who just watching stylistically over the course of the last few years seems you know a logical benefactor in this way. Uh, I also think Cal Raleigh is like to benefit to to some degree. But I think if you look at our team and the success that we've had offensively this year. I, that success has has been in part due to the fact that we don't get too hung up on on pulling the ball all the time. Our players do move it around the field, or they just hit it over the fence. Well, this is a little easier way back machine. Uh, this is uh, than Luis Castillo, but that was a blast hearing some of that background with him. And you just said you're looking for great athletes who can play baseball. Well, your greatest athlete is doing stuff never seen before in baseball, and Julio Rodriguez. Jerry, take me back to the first time you ever, in person, laid eyes on him. Uh, the first time I met Julio, he came over uh, to Peoria, Arizona, for a high-performance camp. Uh, he was he was uh, 18 years old at the time. And why it was unforgettable is typically, you know, you would have to seek out a player. And you know, if, uh, if I were interested in, in finding you know, one of our minor leaguers in, in the pool of players that come, you're going to have to go ask a coach, hey, can you point me towards so-and-so? Or, you know, I would walk around the, the weight room or on the fields 
introducing myself to, to various players. But, you know, the, the first morning that I was there, I was, uh, I was on the elliptical facing out to the fields and, and riding away with my earbuds in. And Julio came up and stood in front of the elliptical uh, and and put his hand out. I took my earbud out and he, he said, Jefe, I'm Julio. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic. And uh, it showed you a little bit, of, you know, about who he is. You know, he's uh, he's he's such an engaging guy. He's very outgoing. And and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound like a lot. But for an 18 year old whose second language is English, who's in the United States for the first time to go to, to ask someone else, hey, where, who's that? And then come over and, and say hello. That takes courage. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's part of who Julio is. A little deeper level, and you can shoot this down. You were very kind to me last week. Um, you, you didn't criticize me publicly for my missteps about Luis Castillo at the top of the zone. You actually very publicly corrected me in a very kind way. So if I'm <laughs> wrong on this, you can go ahead and cut my legs out and just say, no, you were flat out wrong on this. But I'm curious, and I'm watching my son, very young, kind of watch this baseball process. But I got friends whose kids are a little older and who have gone through it. And the machine that is perfect game, the machine that is all performance in youth baseball, the machine that's all ratings, the machine in America that is all about these numbers and this data. And I just wonder, Jerry, um, yesterday Jeff Passon said magnetic. That's a word we've heard a lot with Julio. Do you think the grind of youth baseball in America is demagnetizing kids? Because Julio and many of his compadres there from the Dominican just seem to have a magnetism, a joy to play. And I just wonder if the grind of the performance-driven youth baseball system demagnetizes kids. You know, I don't think it does. Um, and, and why I say that isn't necessarily because youth baseball hasn't changed. And, you know, in, in the last 10 or, or even 15 years, the way youth baseball happens is it's, I would call it segmented. And, you know, we see in so many cases, we see, you know, big uh, events where players are playing in three or five inning increments. We, we see pitchers who are on very restricted pitch counts who aren't really throwing all of their pitches or, or facing a hitter for a second or third time in the lineup, which is something that was kind of fundamental as, as a developmental tool when we were growing up and, and, and when we were first scouting baseball, you know, 20 and 25 years ago, I guess, but uh, why I don't think it, it has changed that the magnetic personality is the same things are happening in Latin America, you know, and in Latin America, most of the players that we sign, I shouldn't say most, many of the players that we sign, haven't really played competitive baseball. They've they have played in those same types of environments where most of their existence as players has been geared toward, you know, developing what we call showcase tools, you know, power and arm strength and running speed, because that's historically how young players in Latin America have been scouted and signed. And and the the actual playing of the game is secondary, and oftentimes we don't find out about the player's game ability mm. until after they've signed. So it's uh, it's almost, in Latin America over the years, it's almost more magnified than it is in, in today's domestic amateur baseball. That was just a snippet of Jerry DePoto's conversation with Brock and Salk. You can listen every single Thursday morning at 7.30 to the Jerry DePoto Show in a little under 20 minutes from now, Joe Doyle of Prospects Live, he will join me to begin 
the second hour of tonight's show. But up next, we take a listen to a conversation Matt Boyd, Mariners reliever, had with Wyman and Bob earlier this week, talking about growing up a Mariners fan, going to games of the Kingdom, early Safeco field days, his memories as a Mariner fan growing up, and what it's been like to put on that Mariners uniform in the playoff hunt, being part of the team that could end this playoff drought. That's coming your way next here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. There's the pitch, swung on, drop ball to the right side. Right there, Abraham Toro. The throw to Santana at first, and it's a 1-2-3, bottom of the eighth inning from Matthew Boyd. Hey, buddy, welcome to the Seattle Mariners. A scoreless 1-2-3, bottom of the eighth inning. And Casale gives him a big hug as he makes his way to first base. And look at the smile on Matt's face as he walks inside the Mariners' first base dugout. Way to go, kid. If you're like me, grew up playing ball in the backyard, daydreaming of putting on a big league uniform, probably the uniform of your hometown team. For me and many kids growing up in the Northwest, it was the Mariners, and very few of us ever got that opportunity to do so. I never did. Most of my friends, in fact, all of my friends, (laughs) never got a chance to do so. But one person who has been able to do that this season is Matthew Boyd, left-handed reliever for the Mariners, coming out of their bullpen. He spent a number of years pitching for the Detroit Tigers. He joined the Giants organization prior to the 2022 season. And at the trade deadline, the Mariners and Giants came to a deal that would send Boyd to the Mariners. And Boyd, after a few rehab outings in AAA, got the call up to the big leagues and now gets to wear that uniform that he had wanted to wear his entire childhood. Uh, He's talked at length on the Mariners pregame show with Shannon Dreher before about growing up, going to games in the Kingdome, going to uh, games at then Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park, watching the 01 Mariners, watching the 95 Mariners, being present for so many big moments. So can you imagine for a second what it's like to A, be a kid growing up in this area and finally getting to wear a Mariners uniform and pitching in front of friends and family day in and day out, and B, being part of a team that is this close to snapping the 20-plus year playoff drought. This is year 21 uh, the Mariners have not made the playoffs since 2001. Imagine having that childhood and then being part of a team that could possibly do it, be one of 26 or, or at this point 28 now that we're in September to have had a hand in ending this playoff drought. Well, Matthew Boyd, he joined our very own Wyman and Bob earlier this week to talk about that and what it's like wearing that Seattle Mariners uniform for the first time in his big league career. How, how does that sound, Matthew Boyd of the Seattle Mariners? <laughs> Man, it, it, I got to say, it sounds right. <laughs> it's something that you always <laughs> dream about, right? You know, that's 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 the way it sounded uh, when I was, you know, hitting whistle balls, and that's what uh, – you know, and my Dave Niehaus and Rickers were saying in my mind. So it's 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 cool to happen, and I'm really really grateful for it. Yeah, that's that's such a cool story, man. We saw the picture of uh, of you as a kid. When did you uh, when did you become a uh, uh, start playing baseball? Has it been something you've done your whole life? Yeah, something I've done my whole life. You know, um, I mean, it didn't take long. It's like I I fell in love with baseball at the Kingdom when I was you know probably before I was five years old, and it was yeah. it was going there, and it's like. It's really easy to fall in love when you're watching a team every day that has Griffey and A-Rod and Edgar and Randy Johnson and, you know, Joey Cora and stuff. You know, it's like those teams were, um, you know, it's, it's 
I, I was very, very fortunate to be growing up at a time when Mariners baseball was really becoming to thrive, you know, from 95 and, you know, going into 2001, 2002. So it was a, it, it, it was it was a really special time, and that really like really spurred my interest for the game. Were you, were you always a pitcher, or did you grow up playing ball, thinking, "Hey, I want to be like Griffey, or I want to be like Edgar or A Rod"? Or how, how did that how did that oh. transition go? Yeah, completely. I actually hit in college at Oregon State, so my my first appearances were as a hitter uh, in college. I went to school as a pitcher and hitter, so it was um it was. You know, it was it was awesome. It was I I I, I always envisioned myself. Yeah, I, was, I always told my dad like, I'm going to replace Griffey in center, and I'm going to replace <laughs> Randy Johnson on the mound when the time comes. And, you know, I mean, I, I might have been a little bit off on one of those, you know, <laughs> on both of those things. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's I'm uh, I always wanted to do both. Hey Matthew, how much of a, a boost? How meaningful was it for you guys to take the series against the reigning world champions, man? You and you pitched well when you, when you got in there a couple innings, but uh, did that was that give a, give you guys a little bit extra, a little bit more uh, confidence beating them? I mean, I, 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 this time of year, everyone gives you confidence. Uh, yeah. There, you know, we're 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 obviously you know very aware that the National League is is kind of probably you know. It's going through those, you know, L.A., New York, and Atlanta, right? It's the way those teams are playing right now. And uh, not to mention San Diego with these guys right here, right? Uh, about to sell them short either. They are an immense talent. And playing in the NL West earlier this season, I, I know how good they are firsthand. Uh, and they're fully entrenched in that, too. But, like, you know, this is another opportunity tonight. Is that When you play teams like this, this is this is what, you know, this is baseball's good all the way around. But it is cool to play teams that you're going to be playing you know, or that would be playing in the in the postseason, right? You know, it's that, that competition that's that's I don't want to say raised. That's always a weird kind of a you know idea that you raise the you know you, you know you, you rise to the occasion or whatnot. But when you when you can put a get together team wins like we did against a solid team like Atlanta, man, it's it's really really special. Hey, what what was that game like for you as a fan? It was, I mean, you talk about extreme lows and extreme highs. I mean, it looked like you guys had the game in hand. It could have been a blowout. And then all of a sudden, very uncharacteristically, the bullpen, you know, coughs up the lead. That's what happened. And then you're going in the bottom of the ninth going, I can't believe we're trailing as a fan. Here comes Julio, laser beam home run. Here comes Suarez, crushes one to center field, and you win. I mean, it, it felt improbable as a fan. You just, it was so extreme, the emotions. What was it like being out there? You know, I mean, being in the bullpen, it's uh, you're you're always kind of on alert, right? And um, so, obviously, we don't you know, that, that that's not been that hasn't been the norm in terms of what happens this year, you know. Um, but I think it just shows the character of our team. Uh, but there's no quit and there's no panic. You know, it, it's really easy to let something like that kind of deflate you. But guys just show up at the, for the next at bat and they're just ready to go after it. And, uh, and, and taking the bat in the time and know that, you know, we're never out of a game. And I think it speaks to the character of uh, what our team is made up of. And it was really, really fun to be part of that game. You know, that was really cool. It seems like there's lots of cool guys in the, the bullpen. It seems like, you know, every guy we talk to is just uh, fun and, you know, has a has a good story. A lot of personality out there. Is that, uh, has that been your experience? <laughs> yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know, you get a – in the bullpen, there's always, you know – you. you <laughs> It's always a different kind of culture that gets created down there, especially as the year goes on, just because you're very isolated, you know, and, uh, as, as the games go on, right? You're out there away from the team, and, uh, 
it's a lot of personalities, a lot of, a lot of awesome conversations that go on and, uh, a lot of good people and obviously extremely talented. So, uh, I'm really grateful to be a part of that, uh, uh, that, that group down there. Hey, what's it like for you to be in the bullpen? I mean, you've been a starter your your career in your career, and then now you're you're coming out of the bullpen, and and obviously it's a it's a great situation to be a part of. But how much of an adjustment is that for you, especially coming off an injury? It's an adjustment, you know. Um, it's it's also I think only going to benefit me, you know, kind of transitioning back into the starting role after the season. Um, it, you, I. Uh, you can't have that hard focus down there, you know, because you never know when you're going to get in and it's, it'll wear you down just sitting down there. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that soft focus where it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to do when I'm going to get in the game. You know, if I do, I know, you know, I know what it takes to get me ready. Um, and uh, you kind of just attack it going, okay, the phone ring, time to go do my job. Here we go. And, uh, you know, I think um, that, that's been really good for me. I've really been, you know, picking a lot of these guys' brains and picking a lot of my former teammates over the last seven years who were really good at it and I got some good advice. So it was a, it was um it's a different transition for sure. Different than starting, you know, different pitching every fifth day and kind of building your schedule around that start. Um, but uh, it's fun. And man, I got, it's, it's, it's fun to do. And I'm really excited about, uh, you know, like I said, being part of this group and in this season of life, you know, doing this thing. Hey, really quick, Matthew, uh, you went to Mercer Island High School when you were a freshman, and then, uh, you know, you went to Eastside Catholic and Oregon State. We have a guy on every week, Paul Moyer, who's our, our buddy that yeah. obviously, uh, he has lots of really good things to say about you. It was just raving about you. So uh, you got highly recommended by, well, I don't know, did he coach you or what? Yeah, Paul, Paul, so I played with Nick. I played with Nick from uh, when I was about, Gosh, probably nine years old to about 14, 15, you know, right around when Nick started really diving into football, you know, before he went to Cal Poly, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, Paul, Paul was an assistant coach, and he was awesome. He just brought a different mentality, you know, um, to the coaching staff, and it was it was really, really fun just getting to grow up with uh, Nick and uh, in place. Well, that's awesome. You got to tell Paul I say hi. I don't think I've seen him since, like, a – couple of years ago going to a Seahawks uh, pregame show or something and saw him on the radio, you know, doing a, doing a yeah. call before. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've known Paul for 35 years. He set me up with my wife. I always say I know everything about him and I like <laughs> him anyway. Uh, yeah. Love Paul Moyer. We love him. So, uh, awesome. yeah, we'll definitely say hi and uh, good luck to you, Matthew. We'll, we'll play him this clip. We'll play him the clip of. Yeah, there we go. Oh, talking about I love it. that. I love that. That'll be great. That'll be great. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for having me on and uh, yeah, right on. It's uh, Go Mariners. You got Absolutely. Mariners. Go Mariners. Thanks so much for the time, and we wish you the best, Matthew. Thanks, man. No, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, make sure you're tuning in to Wyman and Bob every day from 2 to 7. You can take a listen to their Mariners Spotlight, which airs a few times a week. Make sure you're downloading their podcast. Make sure you're downloading this podcast of Extra Innings at seattlesports.com or on the Seattle Sports app wherever it is you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, you can find us in every hour of every show right here on Seattle Sports Station. When we return on Extra Innings, Hour 2 coming your way, a late-night edition right here on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.